Welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. All right, welcome back to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, where theology matters, but technology doesn't. No. (laughs) We are going to buy a video camera and stop using my iPhone to record us because even though I put it on airplane mode and I have, I don't know, like 150 gig free, it keeps stopping. Yeah. And we don't know why. It's powered. Yep. Yep. It is plugged in. Should be good to go. Steve Jobs would be ashamed. That's right. And while we're talking about technology, let me just give you a buyer beware. (laughs) <laughs> Don't install voice meter on your phone, on your Windows 10, or if you are going to set a restore point because that sucker will not uninstall. And they encourage you not to uninstall it. <laughs> yeah. Like all good software developers do. Right. Yeah. It shouldn't be a problem. So you just leave it on there. Why would you ever want to un- uninstall it? So I will probably, if I can find something else that will merge. Keep your credit card number <laughs> safe. Don't you worry about that. Yeah, well, it is a free software from Germany, but there's no there's no hackers yeah, in Germany, just, right? Oh no, no, and no <laughs> Russians go into Germany. That's so. right. So I'll probably uh, be reimaging my computer at some point, and at least my files will be there. But then I'll have to reinstall all my programs, and it'll be fun. Get all my drivers, but I've got to find something else. Maybe can, maybe we can get like a cheap audio box that's dedicated to recording and don't need a computer to do it and all of that. And maybe we can get a relatively cheap camera that right. will actually film, film, I don't know, record. Yeah. That's probably the better yeah. verb. Yeah. So the moral of the story is watch and well, actually listen because we know YouTube has changed their monetization so that you've got to, it, it makes it very hard to make money off of YouTube now. You gotta have like a million followers. Yeah, because back in the day, like you go look at some of my old, old apologetics videos, which I'm kind of ashamed of now. Um, <laughs> I should probably take them off. <laughs> but I at least had like, I don't know, like three bucks or something in the bank. And once you got up to 10 bucks, you could like take it out. Mm-hmm. And now none of my videos, are, none of these videos are even monetized because you have to have so many views by so many folks in a month and then they go okay now you can be monetized i'm like well, you're still making revenue off of all of these so that doesn't make sense wait youtube might be evil well so so if you listen to the podcast lots of times because that little ad for flipboard that you hear all the time does make us a, a tiny bit of money. I think we're up to like four and a half dollars now. Yeah. Yeah. Over four months. Total. <laughs> Total. That's for all of the videos and all yeah. of the episodes combined. Yeah. yeah. And now we're three minutes in. Yeah. And have not even started our episode. Yeah. But hopefully, you know, when I listen to podcasts, the, the version every now and then is, is enjoyable. We highly encourage you also to put us on double speed. <laughs> yeah. We try listening to ourselves at single speed and I can't do it. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's painful. We sound a whole lot smarter when we're sped up. I think so. But maybe that's just because I'm used to listening to all podcasts sped up. That's true. Yeah. But there's a lot of dead air on our podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Because it wasn't the last one because I was trying to think what I was going to say. Because I had thought about it and I lost it and I had to re- recapture it. All right. So last podcast, we talked about Methodist Church homosexuality. 
this podcast, we want to talk about abortion um, and the state. And I want to say from the get-go something that may not be, you may know, oh. But I actually, not that I think that each state should should vote this way, but I think it should be a left at least at the state level and not the national level. So, um, because you're more of a small federal government, yeah. the power resides closer to the people type of constitutional guy? Yeah, because and I think that's what the founders wanted. They wanted 50 different experiments where we all kind of joined in 13 or yeah well <laughs> well you know the manifest destiny they had 50 in mind really oh i don't know i thought they had 57 uh, i don't know <laughs> yeah that was obama right yeah um they had in mind different experiments each state would be its own and i was trying to explain this to my daughter that state used to mean country like it was you know when, when you sometimes read documents it talks about the state mm-hmm. they meant the the country the government and so there was the united states and each one was kind of their own thing but we all joined together for you know our protection and better economy and stuff like that and then once the civil war happened which happened for a good reason but in order to keep the states together the federal government got really strong and hasn't given up its power since hmm. i think machiavelli might have something to say about that yeah yeah um so in one sense i am in favor of states determining their own destiny um but that doesn't mean we can't call them out and say it's immoral when they do wrong stuff which is what we're doing here um and this has been predicted for some time. I think it was Peter Singer actually wrote a paper that was largely rejected early 2000s, late 90s. And he argued basically there's no real moral difference between a baby in the womb and once it's traveled, you know, six or seven inches down the birth canal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that until a baby is conscious, you could, you know, until you have that is conscious of it itself, like self-conscious is what I'm trying to say, that you could kill it just as easy as abortion. So um, I have two brothers, both of whom are physicians. One is an anesthesiologist who was a residency program director and involved in the medical school. So he was involved in, in the educational process and training of young doctors And for the medical school, he was involved in medical ethics. And this was sometime back, I think in like 2010 or 11, a paper came out in Australia. I think it was Australia. Two doctors were arguing for infanticide. And their argument went something like this. It's been a while. But basically they said that personhood is defined by the ability to conceive of and plan for a future. And therefore, anybody who doesn't meet those criteria is not a person. Mm-hmm. And therefore, those people we can kill. Um, so, it's daytime there in Australia. But if we fly over there, we find them at night when they're sleeping. And they're unable to plan for and think of their own future. We should be able to kill them. That's not really a fair recitation of their argument. They're, they're just why saying not? general cognitive abilities. Well, how? why wouldn't it apply, apply to someone sleeping or someone in a coma? Or Well, interestingly enough, 
they they were dealing more with the beginning of life type of things, but the same arguments end up applying to the end of life, or they apply to brain damage, or um, can apply to, to Down syndrome or retarded person their entire life. Um, I mean, it, it it really becomes very sticky, but. What they ended Which up Which was saying, another prediction of this. I mean, I sure. remember growing up and hearing in the 80s, if you devalue life at one stage, you devalue it all along the whole continuum. And I kind of thought, eh. And now there's, you know, Oregon's trying to pass a bill where they can, if for elderly, mentally ill folks, they can just start from the death. That is unconscionably brutal to me. But I know. Anyway, the, what, what's interesting about this paper is the two doctors came to these conclusions and they actually said, we don't like our conclusions. But my brother, who went much more in depth in reading the paper and dealing with it and presenting it to his um, med students, he, he actually said that their logic was good from their presupposition to their conclusion and therefore, what's the problem? Well, the problem is the presupposition. Right. They didn't make any logical errors from where they started to where they ended. Once you accept the premises, the conclusion follows. Correct. Right. And, and so he was actually very thankful for what they did because he felt like they shed light on the argument and, and really gives our side a better foothold to say, we're not just making it up. You know, it's not just that, well... You, you need a little bit here, and you guys talk about that slippery slope. But no, it really, it really, really is. Right, and that's what a lot of times, um, every time this came up, Greg Kogel would mention when he talked about it, that he had two types of slippery slopes, a fallacious slippery slope and a logical slippery slope. A fallacious or a fallacy is one where there's no real connection. You're just saying it's a slippery slope, but it's not really. There's no logical entailment. But a logical slippery slope is exactly what you just said, was where you can take the same premises and now come to another conclusion. And uh, when you can start doing that and you come to conclusions that are obviously wrong or obviously don't feel right, you know, maybe your premises were wrong to begin with. Right. Now, they never question their own premises, but I think it allows most reasonable thinking people to look at it and go, no, it's not okay to just murder a three-year-old. And if that's not okay, then it's probably not okay to murder a two-year-old or a one-year-old or, you know, and, and we get to the argument we're having today where the states have finally kind of said, yeah, the birth canal doesn't actually do anything. If it's okay to kill them in the womb, then it's okay to kill them out of the womb. Right. And, and you go, <laughs> we told you this was coming. And... Um, so it's, it's a sad state that we're yeah. in. So the logical argument against uh, abortion um, goes like this, at least the one that... Um, don't murder? Don't murder, yeah. Um, but it's basically a extract, you know, it's just that kind of teased out a little more. Uh, Scott Klusendorf uh, and Greg Koffel were the first persons, first people that I heard making this logical argument. Scott now uh, heads up Life Training Institute out of Atlanta, um, and he trains speakers. They go all over where they're invited to basically present the pro-life uh, case, and I think they're making a difference. Um, but basically, they say it, it's wrong to kill an innocent human being without proper justification. You add the prop without proper justification because you, you know there are times where we might 
kill innocent human beings, like we may drop a bomb sometime, that's not the target, but we know some of the collateral damage may be innocent human beings. Um, and then they say abortion on demand uh, takes the life of an innocent human being without proper justification. And of course, we're adding some stuff, abortion on demand. So we're not talking about ectopic pregnancies. We're talking about, you know, elective abortions. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so the conclude if those two premises are true, then abortion is wrong. Um, and so then, then you have to either say, in, so that is a um, formally correct argument. So there's nothing that's formally wrong. And so in order to show that the conclusion's false, you have to show one of the premises is wrong. So you either have to say, no, it's not wrong to take an innocent human life without proper justification. Um, or you have to say that abortion doesn't take a human life without proper justification. Um, so most of the time they're going to go along the lines of what you said. They're, they're going to try to, they try to separate um, personhood and humanity. Mm -hmm. Which I think is a, we don't talk about, you know, person rights, we're talking about human rights. Um, and those humans who are 10 weeks, five weeks, one second old, look exactly like they're supposed to look at, at that stage of their life. Mm -hmm. um, they have a different set of DNA than the mom. They have, you know, their own body. It's self-organized. The mom's body is not telling the baby's body how to grow. In fact, the mom's body is going to respond to hormones that the baby's body gives off. Um, it's going to start accommodating the baby's body. Um, at around eight to 10 weeks, the baby gets its own heartbeat. Uh, at 10 weeks old, you can see definite fingers and feet and toes. Uh, it's just a separate body. So the, the, these arguments you hear, you know, don't tell me what to do with your body. I, I'm not trying to tell you what to do with your body. Um, well, and by the way, why not? <laughs> I mean, that's the dumbest argument in the world. We do absolutely tell people certain restrictions on what they can and cannot do with their body. I can't take my fist and put it in your face. Yeah, I, I'm going to tell you <laughs> that there are limits on what you can do with your hand. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that. that's... Yeah, but even aside from that, it, it's, it's not a, your body. Well, I, I agree with yeah. that. But at the same time, even if it were, that's such an emotional, non-logical argument. Don't tell me what to do with my foot. Well, if you use your foot to press an accelerator and drive a car into somebody crossing the street, you're held liable for what your foot did. Right. I mean, it. we tell you that your foot can't do that. So th this idea that... Uh, I can willy-nilly do whatever I want with my body and I have this pure personal autonomy. It's just a, it's a fiction that we completely recognize in so many other areas, but we've let the emotions of this drive insanity. Yeah, yeah and they use all this language that is either disguised or it's... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's uh, on purpose misleading. That's not the word I'm looking for, but um, because it's deceptive. You, well, it's deceptive, but it's it's purposely deceptive. Um, so they'll talk about a fertilized egg. In biology, there's no such thing as a fertilized egg. It's called a zygote, right? Yeah, it's yeah. You you have an embryo, and I think it's the embryo first. 
or zygote first. But as soon as the sperm and the egg meet, neither one of them exists independently anymore. You have a whole new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott Kusendorf talks about, um, you know, he's a big car guy. So it took me a while to kind of catch on to what he was saying because I'm not a car guy. But he was talking about Corvettes, I guess, are made at some factory in Kentucky. And he talks, you know, talks all about the process of how they put them together. And he asked, you know, what stage would you say now that is a Corvette? You know, is it a Corvette once it gets its tires? Is it a Corvette, you know, once you can turn it on and drive it? And you could argue about when does, what, what point does it become a Corvette? Because people are taking these different parts and assembling them. But he said, if I guarantee you, if I, you know, put a tiny thing down there and it on its own, started shaping itself and growing and forming and becoming a car, a Corvette, you would say all along that it was always a Corvette. Mm -hmm. It was doing what it was supposed to do all along. Um, And so he very strongly, and I agree, argues that from conception, we have a human. There's no doubt. They have the right number of chromosomes. They have the right number of genes. Um, It's not like we think, is it going to be a horse? Is it going to be a dog? It's going to be a human. Right. Um, We're not laying bets on (laughs) what it's going to be. Right. And humans have rights. And uh, the the unborn are the weakest, most vulnerable of our society. And they're the ones that most need our protection. Mm -hmm. So to me, I'm dumbfounded. And I'm also dumbfounded about, you know, I'm sure if someone gets this and listens to it, they're going to be two white guys talking about women's rights. Guys can't talk about women's rights. Well, yeah. Again, that's about as good of an argument as don't tell me what to do with my body because we are members of the human society and we're talking about moral issues that affect humans. Well, um, I've got a wife and I've got a daughter and I care about their rights. And I don't really care if people like it, but I'm going to talk about women's rights because I can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and to say... Boo-boo. And to say, well, you're a man is to commit the genetic fallacy. Right. You're not dealing with the arguments, the logical arguments that we're presenting. You're saying, I can't accept the argument because of the source where it came from. Right. And it's a, it's a logical fallacy. It's a, called the genetic fallacy. Well, and if you want to talk about women's rights and protecting women, um, I, would, I think in America, it's roughly 50% of aborted babies are female. I think in China, it's a much higher percentage because of their one-child policy. And so, um, you know, if you want to look at racism in the U.S. or if you want to look at sexism or whatever, abortion disproportionately or at least proportionately hurts women and minorities. Oh, it's disproportionate for blacks. I agree. Yeah. That's why I said, you know, I think with, with women, I think it's, about 50-50 on the gender split right. in abortion. But yes, black babies are aborted at a much higher percentage than the representative segment of our population. Yeah. And go listen back to what was her name? Margaret Singer? Margaret Sanger. Sanger, yeah. And how racist she was. <laughs> and how they saw this as a way to help cleanse our society of you know those bad people, the black people. And just to be clear, that's not what we think. No, that's sarcasm. Yes, that's her opinion. And she's the founder of Planned Parenthood. Right. Um, Or at least one of the founders. So, 
yeah, if if you love babies, if you love humanity, you wouldn't you wouldn't have this would be unconscionable to you. What do you um what do you think about using imagery in in this? With respect to what? You know, images of aborted babies. Mm. Um it makes me personally very uncomfortable to see. It it is uh, emotionally jarring. Um, even I've I've watched some verbal descriptions, so listened to, but they've been videos of what actually happens. Um, and do you think it brings? clarity to the issue or do you think it is a distraction from the issue i think it, it reminds me a little bit of the supreme court thing of pornography um from the 70s or 80s you know it, it's hard to define but you know it when you see it mm -hmm. i think with this if you see it it is absolutely immediately crystal clear that what you're watching is murder mm -hmm. i don't think there's any question, um, unless your conscience is so incredibly seared and hardened, I think any right thinking person just immediately recognizes it for what it is. I don't know if it's necessarily tactically a great plan. Um, I do find it incredibly ironic that the anti-abortion movie cannot be seen by girls who can actually have it done to them. Right. Um, the, the irony there is just shocking. Right. You can't see this without your parents' permission because it's rated R, but you can get an abortion without your parents' consent. So you can see it in person, just not on the screen. Right. Um, okay. So there was uh, Scott Klusendorf um, actually encourages the use of images, but he has some ground rules for it. Mm -hmm. He always warns folks, gives them the option to look away, tells them what's going to happen. Um, but for the same reason, he, he, you know, when you see those tiny hands or those tiny feet, um, it's no question that this is a human that's being killed. And he talks about, there was a, uh, back, I think in the, 40s, 50s, I could have my timeline wrong, but there was a young black guy who came down to the south from the north and um, had whistled at a, a white girl or something and uh, was just horrifically killed, mm -hmm. um, just mutilated. And when his body was returned, I think it was Chicago, um, the, the mom said, we're having an open casket. And they were like, no. He doesn't even, and she's like, I want them to see my son and see what they did to him and let this be, you know, shame on them because everyone needs to see this and see how horrible it was. Mm -hmm. He talks about, you know, the same thing with, you know, showing these images of these babies who've been killed um, and how it, he says it brings clarity. Obviously, you don't want to just, you know, I've seen it being done wrong where, you know, people are just walking by and then they show up this poster. Yeah. That's, that's, that's probably not going to win friends and influence people. <laughs> I almost want to not say what I'm about to say after that quote, but I, yeah, I would definitely, 
I don't think it's a good shock tactic. I, I don't think that's um, right. how to do it well, but, and I think you can probably overdo it. You know, I don't think that you need to watch lots and lots and lots and lots to know, to know. Right. Um, but you know, he, hearing, I, I think there was a former abortionist who was giving a testimony before Congress or something. I've I've heard that, yeah. Um, And then I watched one who, it was an OBGYN. Interesting story. It was a, I think it was a Fox News thing. Um, But his four-year-old daughter was killed by a car in front of his house. And that's what kind of caused him to wake up and realize that he lost his child and he was killing babies and um, not not necessarily something that I would have immediately seen the logical connection, but I'm sure when you're in the midst of that emotion, mm-hmm. you see some stuff from a fresh perspective. Um, but just hearing him describe it, and, and he was pretty circumspect because he said, you know, I'm on, this is a family time show type of, I'm not going to go into all of the details. I'm going to guard my language. And it was still you know, brought the female anchor to tears. And I mean, it, it's a difficult thing to contemplate just the horrors that our government not only allows, but pays for. Yeah. So I think in America's uh, 60 million plus actual uh, babies killed, unborn killed. Um, If they were to be around um, and to have had lives and married and had kids, it's actually, I think, around 130 million that's missing from our population. I, I'd have to go back and look at that number. Uh, but basically, 20% of our, I do remember this, one out of, for every four Americans are today, one's missing, so to speak, from abortion, either someone who's killed or someone who they would have had a, a kid. Um, so you think about, you know, I saw this video the other day on Facebook of this little boy in Africa who is drawing just amazing portraits. I don't, I don't, you know, the stuff gets shared, Yeah. but, and he's like eight and it's just like lifelike, almost photo realistic. And he's basically doing it in, in charcoal and mm-hmm. pencil and stuff. And you got to think out of those 130 million people missing, you know, what scientists, what musicians, what artists, what football players, what ballerinas, you know, have been stolen from our society. You know, someone, a scientist who might have discovered, you know, something. So, yeah. So we used to travel back and forth from Atlanta to kind of a rural part of North Carolina for work. And there was a billboard on the side of the road and I'm not fully endorsing what it says from a theological perspective, but it's, it shows conversation bubbles between kind of us and God and somebody's praying and says, God, you know, send us someone to cure cancer and send us someone to cure AIDS and send us someone to do this and do that. And then God's answer is I did. And you aborted them. Yeah. And again, there's, there's theological issues that I would want to tease out, but to, to your point, it's, it's not simply, a moral evil. It's not simply murder that's going on. We're also robbing our society of people who can help us. Right. And, um, you know, I know probably some of the people who think that it's okay also think that we're overpopulating the earth or something, but I, I, I think the more of us 
the better that we can come together and solve problems and, and yeah. good for one another. That's a whole other topic, but we've we've blown past several population barriers that were predicted, you know, early in the 1900s or late in the 1800s. Oh, the, we can't we can't sustain a population. Oh yeah, well we did. So and there's still, you know, people are starving today not because we don't have food. Right. We've got you know, grain upon grain upon grain stored up, mm -hmm. and there's lots of land that farmers are paid not to farm. Right. Um, which is another. <laughs> We're not going there. We're not going there. <laughs> Uh, well, I'll just let's talk about women's health. So there are some women's health issues where, you know, abortion might be and this would not be abortion on demand might be uh, allowed. I mentioned one at top pregnancies, um, at least to my knowledge, there's no way to save the mom and the, the baby. Then um, the baby plants someplace outside the uterus, like in the fallopian tube or someplace. And if left go, the baby's not going to survive. We know and is probably going to kill the mom. Um, and so those types of situations, you know, you got a choice. It's a, one of those dilemmas. You can, you know, lose one or lose two. And we say we would rather lose one than lose two. Well, and, and importantly there, the principle there is not ease or comfort. The principle there remains championing the sanctity of life right right you are you are taking a tragic step in order to maintain the principles that you champion right so it's not why well, we don't have money it's not this is inconvenient or i'm not married you know i mean it's she's going to die if we don't do this right yeah and the baby's going to die either way right yeah, and so some of the arguments for like these late-term abortions um, for women's health, our daughter happened to be born on the anniversary of the Roe v. Wade, January 22, um, and she was born at 34 weeks um, after my wife being on bed rest for five weeks because her water burst early. So from 29 weeks to 34 weeks, she was on bed rest at MUSC. And I'll just say there's amazing doctors in MUSC because she came out basically looking lifeless. Mm. No, like, you know, our third daughter came out and she was cesarean and they gave her a 10 on that scale. And they were just remarking, you know, we never give a 10 hardly to any babies. And when we do, they're not cesarean babies <laughs> because cesarean babies are normally just a little bit because they haven't gone through the process of being birthed. Right. But she just came out like red, screaming, ah, you know, and then the contrast between her and our youngest, um, she just came out like she, they were showing us to her. And I was thinking in my mind, start working on her now. <laughs> like, don't show her to me anymore. Like, go save her life. And that's what they did. They saved her life um, at 34 weeks. Right. And these people are getting abortions. 36, 37, 38, 39, 40 weeks. And these babies are obviously viable. And if the mom's in a health condition, why not deliver the baby? Right. And then let the baby, if you, the mom doesn't want them, there's plenty of people, some in our church, who would love to adopt, you mm -hmm. know. So. You're right. So I kind of have a principled position of um, the sanctity of life and 
So being permissive with abortion in the case of saving the life of the mother. And you challenged me on, okay, but when would that ever apply so late in the term? And I was like, well, yeah, I can't, I, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I'm not medical. I've got some medical people in my family. There's nothing that I know of. Maybe there's something, but yeah, I agree with you. If you're, if it's going to cause you mental stress, imagine the mental stress of being killed, being ripped apart. Yeah, I mean, and it's, the, the statistics show that within, I think, the first year or two when they are polled, women generally don't have regrets or there's the majority of people don't. But like there's this threshold, and I don't know what it is, a year, two years, three years, where for the vast majority of women who have abortions, it's it's not good. They they go through severe depression. Um, you know, I know someone who had an abortion. It you know it bothers her a lot. Um, so um, and the hope for the woman who's had an abortion is just like the hope for the homosexual. We talked about the last podcast It's it's Jesus. Yeah. Um, he's, he's the savior of all sinners. And so we're not saying that, um, you know, we don't love folks. We, we love folks. We're just saying that abortion's wrong. Yeah. I mean, there, there's hope for people who commit crimes, there's hope for murderers and, and it is Christ. Right. But that doesn't mean that we say, well, then you didn't commit murder, right? I mean, right. You, you get saved and all of a sudden murders, I mean, it, the, the action remains what it is. Right. And we need to speak the truth about what is actually happening. Right, yeah. Um, so if you have any comments on this podcast or the previous I, I have one, a feeling we might get a few on <laughs> This one and the last one. Yeah. And uh, if you have any, um, there's lots of different arguments I've heard, uh, but if there's some that, you, that you've that you heard or that you think are compelling, uh, we're, we're happy to entertain them. I know, not to forestall this anymore, but I know, like you were talking about the medical reasons, the partial birth abortion, I have heard some people say, well, we do partial birth abortions hardly never on late term, but midterm where like, the baby's going to be Down syndrome or the baby's not going to be born with a brain, only a brain stem. And the best way to do that is to dilate and then kill the baby. Um, I don't think that makes it any better. Uh, if the baby's going to die of natural causes, <clears throat> then let the baby die of natural causes. Why would you take, you know, murder into your hands? Why would you take the life of the child into your hands? If the baby's going to be Down syndrome, well, What's the difference? Yeah. I mean, uh, and I think I saw an article. Um, I didn't get to do as much research on this as I'd like, but I think I saw something where Utah, the legislature has passed a bill that they expect the governor to sign, making it illegal to perform an abortion um, only because of Down syndrome. Oh, that's good. Because I, I heard about Utah maybe going the other direction because of a you know Mormonism starting to collapse, but that's I mean I know that there was a lot of good 
It might have been Idaho. I think it was Utah. It was yeah. one of the Mountain West states. Okay. But um, well, you know, because they they've cured what was it, Ireland or Iceland, one of those two of Down syndrome. Right, because they've just aborted all of them. Yeah, yeah aborted yes. all of them. It's just amazing, amazingly bad um, that someone would call that a cure. Let's cure baldness. <laughs> no, that's not. <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm an asthmatic. Let's cure asthma and just kill me. That, right. That cures it, right? Yeah. yeah. It's... All right. Well, um, this has been Mike and Mike Theology Plus taking on some uh, social current yeah. topics. <laughs> so next podcast, we're going to resume with Irresistible Grace, mm-hmm. the grace that cannot be resisted. And apparently that means that absolutely nothing can ever be resisted. Right. Yeah. All right. So stay tuned for that. That's a little teaser for next episode. You've been listening to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology.